The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Most of all, we thank God, obviously, for His love that never fails and never runs out. Uh, that's a wonderful truth for us. We've been studying this love, this love of God, and what it's supposed to look like in our lives. And as we've, or I've been mentioning at least the last couple of weeks, is as we study 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about what love is and what it looks like, this passage may seem familiar. It's read at a lot of weddings, and it sounds kind of cute, and it sounds kind of cozy. But when we compare it to our lives, we find out, wow, it's full of obstacles. It cuts. In fact, it's a lot like a minefield when I start examining my own life in comparison. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he said it was to love God and love people, to love God with everything we have and to love others as we love ourselves. And as Christians, that's what we're called to. That's the kind of unconditional love that changes lives. That kind of love never fails. The problem is, is I fail all the time. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but we're going to look at the next aspect of this love. What is love? God tells us what his love is in scripture. And we'll start at the beginning because to review is helpful for us to put it in context. In 1 Corinthians 13, if you have a Bible, we'll start in verse 1 in our study. And, and, and it's familiar, but let's not get used to it. In verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So love is everything. And without love, if you don't have love, you're a noisy nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That's where we are today. This one might hurt a little. It says, Love is not irritable or resentful. So love is humble. God's love is humble because God is humble. God's love leaves room. And if we're to love and to be loved, we're supposed to leave room for God and leave room for others. And then this last part of verse 5, he says, love is not irritable or resentful. So here's a question. What irritates you? Who irritates you? Maybe that's a better question. What sets you off? What makes you mad? What gets on your nerves? Who gets on your nerves? What is love? Love is not irritable or resentful. One of the great things about living in 2016 is we have access not only to God's word, but to so many different translations of God's word. 
And for those of you that have just started in your Christian faith, or maybe you've always wondered, well, what's the right translation? It's, it's, it's really a benefit to live in 2016 because we have so many translations we can compare because language is always changing, right? And so in many of our studies here at the Tabernacle, we try to tell people, use a lot of different translations. When I study, when I prepare for a message, I go to BibleGateway.com and I check out a passage in every language or every translation that I can think of. And so that helps us understand, well, is it just little irritation? It says love is not irritable or resentful, right? Well, in the NIV, it puts it this way. It says love is not easily angered. You got an anger issue? Are there some things or some people that if they do that or say that, and if the right combination of things, boom, that'll put you right over the top. Not you? Oh, maybe just me. It says, love is not easily angered. And then, gets this, and then get this part. It keeps no record of wrongs. See, that's what resentment is. Well, I don't resent anybody. Don't be so quick. Keeps no record of wrongs. In the message, Eugene Peterson, he translates it this way. It says, love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score. You know what I've realized about me? I know exactly what the score is. I've got a very accurate accountant in here and in here that knows what the score is between me and every single one of you. And if you're honest, you know what the score is going this way too, don't you? Right? But he says, love is not irritable. It's not resentful. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score. I was talking to a couple as they left uh, earlier this morning after the first service, and, and both of them, the wife and the husband both, were just giddy because they were like, this, this passage has just nailed us. This sermon just nailed it. And, and, and he goes, because I'm irritable. And he started to walk away, and she goes, and I resent him for it, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, well done. Welcome to life, right? He's irritable. He gets angry all the time, and she's resentful because he's that way. Well, this isn't what love is supposed to look like, and it's not just for our marriages. It's not just for romantic relationships. It's all the relationships. It's all the people around us. We're called to love God and to love people. But why is there so much irritation and anger and keeping record of wrongs? And especially in the church. You see, what this passage is about is two things. It's about anger and it's about resentment. And those two are related. It's anger and resentment. And I chose this picture on purpose because I think it illustrates how anger and resentment, how they work together. You see, anger is the smoke. Resentment is the fire. Anger's what we see, right? We see anger, it billows up. And many times it's like, oh, he was fiery in anger, right? No, the anger's like all the, when I cook, you know, and you come in the kitchen, what's cook burning here? Probably bacon, right? And it's, and it's burning or whatever. That's just the smoke, the way we talk to one another, the explosion, what's on the outside. Usually, all of that smoke is coming from, or, or, you know, it's coming from something else and it's a fire and it's a fire of a resentment. It's a record of a wrong. It's something that someone one did, usually it's completely unrelated, or it might be a couple of related things that all add up and then there's an explosion. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time in families, we see it in marriages, we see it in human beings that call themselves 
Christians. We don't deal with our resentments. We don't let those things go. We keep track and we keep score and we replay the tapes, don't we? You guys got that little recorder in your brain too? Did I tell you that my middle name is right? Literally, my name, my middle name is right. And my tape is right, and I can find the tape that keeps the score, that has the record of what she did, what he said, how I was hurt, and I can go back to that pain in a minute. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep score that way. See, the fact of the matter is, is many of us, the anger, the smoke of our anger, it's we're owned by our resentment. You see, whatever sets you off owns you. Why are we so easy to say, well, I just can't help it? If you just can't help it, that's just the way I am. You're a slave, and apparently you're okay with it. If something small can irritate you to the point that it puts you over the top, or even if it's not some type of verbal outburst. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a grumpiness. Maybe it just ruins your day. Maybe it just ruins the evening. Maybe it explodes on other people. If it's something small, what does that say about your stature? You see, a small thing can only put a small person over the top. That's not love. That's not what love is. And it expresses itself in different ways. So when we talk about anger and resentment, Please don't assume, well, today they're talking about people with, you know, that have a bad temper. Oh, that's just part of it. In fact, people with a bad temper, you know, that's easy to see. Oh, he's, you know, he just flew off the handle. Well, eventually we learn that flying off the handle or chewing somebody out or throwing things or putting your hand through a drywall like that solved anything, right? Sooner or later, we learn that those are bad expressions of our anger. So we direct them in other places, don't we? And then our anger and the resentment of something that someone said or the way God made me or, or, or just the pain of life, it expresses itself in different ways. We throw our energy into our job or to our hobbies. We've got men that are still so sad, right? They've got resentments from elementary school that every weekend they have to put a little white ball on a wooden tee and beat the snot out of it, <laughs> Right? And, that's, and, and it doesn't matter about their wife, it doesn't matter about their kids, their responsibilities. They're just obsessed with the little white ball and keeping it straight and it's slicing off into the woods. And we laugh at them because it's like we're not necessarily big golfing church. Well, we got men that they got to kill something and they can't kill her and they can't kill these kids and they can't kill the boss, so they're going to kill everything that moves in the UP, right? <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that's every hunter's dream, but you know. Sometimes we've got to check our desire to shed blood, right? It comes out in different ways. It could come out in our attitudes towards people or our willingness to serve, right? And our hearts grow hard because of the fire of resentment because we can replay the tapes and we can go to that sad place in a moment. And the smoke, it just billows. It's been said that when we hold on to resentments, Towards people, it's like letting them live in our brains rent free. Or when we hold on to resentment that burns, it's like drinking poison and hoping that someone else will die. 
It poisons marriages. It poisons families. It poisons fathers towards their children, children towards their fathers. And it's evident in the church. In fact, Pastor Tim was talking to me a couple weeks ago, and he was like, man, I hope this What is Love series talks about resentment because in my counseling, we come to it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so we have God's love that on and on and on and on it goes. But negatively, our anger and our resentment on and on and on it goes in the other direction. And it's poisoning Christians. You probably remember me telling you this story about how anger and resentment and unforgiveness, how it can play out. There was a pastor and his wife, and they were uh, on their way to church, and, and she was so excited because she was going to wear this new dress that she'd purchased, and she'd spent a lot, she saved up a lot of money and spent a lot of money on it. She was so excited, and that morning, as they're getting ready and going out the door, she was like, honey, can you zip me up, please? It's my new dress. I'm so excited. And he was so excited and feeling kind of chipper, so he grabbed the zipper, and he went, Zip, 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 just kind of like that, just goofing off, just being a, a dude, right? Until the dress and the zipper got caught with some of her hair and it was off the track and it was, whoa, stuck and it was a bad situation, right? And she was a little bit upset because dudes do that. And, uh, and so uh, uh, finally they had to get scissors out and they had to not only cut the zipper, but they had to cut her hair. Out of the thing. So now she's late for church and her new dress is ruined and part of her hair is cut. Ladies, are you with me? He must die, shouldn't he die for that? Yeah. And probably also his mom. This is somehow her fault and the way she raised him. And you know that school he went to, they're a bunch of idiots, right? And she was mad and angry and had every right to be upset about that. She was mad all through church. She was mad after church. She was mad that night. She did, he slept on the couch and she was mad when she walked out the morning to go to her work and didn't even hardly hear him when he said, listen, the car's broken. You're going to have to take mine. And I'm really still sorry about that stuff. And she was still mad. When she came home and she knew that he was going to be there working on a car and there was the car kind of jacked up and saw those legs sticking out from underneath. He's working underneath and that anger and that resentment and that fire and that smoke. And she reached down and took him by the fly and went zip, 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 zip. And then she walked in the house and there was her husband standing in the kitchen. Meanwhile, the chairman of the board is unconscious under the car because someone grabbed his fly and he smashed his head on the undercarriage and is now passed out. See, when, now, it's silly when we're talking about zip, 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 and dress and hair and car and mistaken identity. But what happens when you know exactly who it was and exactly what they did? Right? So Wednesday of this week, I am preparing for this message about anger and resentment. And before I could even sit down, somebody that I have anger and resentment towards, right? I get a message from them, and they need something. And I probably spun my wheels for two hours before I suddenly realized, oh, you're real funny, So I took it out on God for a while, right? Let that fire burn. And his love, it just never fails, does it? And he likes to put preachers in a rough situation. What do we do with this 
anger and resentment. Because we all have it. I mean, if I locked you in a room with a piece of paper and said, make a list of everyone who's ever hurt you, you could get there. And how has it impacted you? We could probably get there. And if we were honest, we could probably write next to it how that's impacted our self-image, how it's impacted our relationships, how it's impacted whether we trust or don't trust. In Ephesians chapter 4, God reminds us, he commands us. In verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. So there he says, you know what? There is such a thing as righteous anger. There's a way to get angry and not sin. And there's some things that we ought to get angry about. But can I tell you something? I don't believe it's almost ever about us. Love doesn't get offended. The kind of love that is described for us in 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, I'm not sure that it's ever okay for a Christian to be personally offended. Righteous anger has to do when God's honor has been besmirched, when God's righteousness and His holiness has been offended. That's righteous anger. But we don't get angry righteously. We get angry because somebody hurt me. And he says, don't, that be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is a spiritual warfare passage. Literally, this translation, it says, give no opportunity to the devil. It says, don't give the devil a foothold. Remember when you were a little kid, you were trying to chase somebody into their room and your little brother or big brother, little sister, whatever, and they tried to shut the door and you got your foot between the door jam and the door. That's a foothold. Christian, listen to me. Listen, if you don't hear anything else today. If you have resentment, if you have anger that comes from resentment, if there is unforgiveness, if you're replaying the tape, you have given the devil a foothold in your heart. Almost every spiritual warfare thing that I've been a part of or called into, it always has to do with somebody didn't forgive somebody. They gave the enemy a foothold, and then he runs amok. And he's a liar, he's an accuser, he's a destroyer, he's a murderer, and he's been that way since the beginning. And we think it's okay. We think we're righteous in our replay of the tapes, and we hang on to the resentment, and then it blows up on everyone around us. He goes on in that passage. Verse 31, to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's resentment. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do we deal with anger and resentment, with irritation and keeping record of wrongs, not flying off the handle and not keeping score? We have to forgive. We're to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Sounds easy. Have fun with that. Thanks for coming. (laughs) It's pretty easy, isn't it? Oh, just forgive. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Come on, Elsa, help us out. How do we let it go? It's easier said than done. Well, 
there's a step before forgiveness. There's a step that helps us deal with our irritation and our anger and our resentment before forgiveness. And it's one word. It's one word. The only way to get to forgiveness, because we can say forgive and then it comes flying back up, doesn't it? The only way to get to forgiveness is this one word, and the word is acceptance. Acceptance. In fact, I want you to say that word. Say acceptance. I'm not going to bust out some verse and talk about, well, and, you know, how do we accept it? Except to say this is we know that God accepts us, doesn't he? One of the greatest things ever penned about God was from Brennan Manning when he says, God accepts us the way we are, not as we should be. He loves us the way we are, not as we should be. Because we're never going to be as we should be. Acceptance means to come to terms with life as it's presented. To come to terms with the situation that's at hand. It's not going to change. What happened, what was said, what was done, that's done. The abuse, the pain, the betrayal, the denial, the hurt, that's done. Now what are you going to do about it? And some of us never accept things the way they are. We just let the fire burn. We never get to the root. We just deal with the smoke. This is me when I come home and it's been a rough day or it's been a rough week or, you know, somebody said something or someone's hurt me or someone's done something. And then it's late at night and I've missed dinner and the family's already downstairs and they're having a great time and they're watching a show and I trip over all the boots and the coats in the mudroom and then I get into the kitchen and it's a disaster and there's my plate over in the corner. And then I'm starting these kids and this dishes and what in the filth and foul and I'm not even hungry. And all of a sudden, this is me, maybe not you. I go into, a, 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 not a rage, but I start cleaning the mudroom because I'm a martyr and that's what vermilias do, right? And then I start doing dishes and I'm huffing and puffing. And then my, eventually my counselor comes up and she's like, hey, how was your day? What are you doing? I'm cleaning everything and these kids and this filthy house and you know how many jobs I work and the stuff I got to deal with and I'm going off, right? And those children and this and that and the other and then sooner or later clarity happens and she'll go, hey, look, pal, none of this is about me. I don't know what you're upset about, but none of this is about those children. If you would like to clean the mudroom and all these dishes, that's on you. But it's not about us. You're welcome to join us. And man, why is she always right? Because <laughs> in that moment, I realized none of this irritation is about them. None of this anger is about them. That's not what it's about. Why am I kicking the dog and kicking Benji? I've never kicked Benji. All right. <laughs> why am I taking it out on the wife of my youth? But that's what we do because we don't get to the problem. And then when I start getting to the problem, it's like something deeper. It's like, why did life turn out this way? Well, if that's a resentment, take it up with God. Don't take it out on Darcy. But that's what we do when we don't accept. Now, acceptance does not mean that I become okay. Oh, I'm just okay with what that person did or said to hurt me. No. But I come to terms with it so I can deal with it. You know, one, one of the great gifts that our church has been given has been Pastor Tim and his testimony and his journey and his story because acceptance is a big part of it. And any one of us that's ever struggled with any kind of addiction, 
knows what I'm about to share with you, right? Because one of the things you got to do is you got to deal with your resentments because if you don't deal with your resentments, you spend your whole life trying to drown them, don't you? But the problem is, is it's not just an addict's problem because we're all addicts. And if we don't drown it, then we try to talk it to death. If we don't talk it to death, then we become the worst type of grouchy person and take it out on people in other ways. We're all in a holic of some type. Because we don't deal with our resentments. Some of us are relationship-aholics, drama-aholics, rage-aholics, shop-aholics, hobby-aholics. So Pastor Tim read this to me this week. I want you to listen. He says, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. That got my attention. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity, no peace until I accept that person, place, thing or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I can never be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. You see, what resentment does is it tries to fix everybody else. You know what your problem is. You know what their problem is. You know how I'm going to get revenge. You know how I'm going to fix this situation. You know what love does? Love says, I can control me, and I can accept, and I can forgive, and I'm going to work on what my part is in this situation. That's what love does. Love forgives, but before love can forgive... Love has to accept. Love has to accept. Maybe for some of us, that, w- that would be a great exercise this week. I'm not telling you what to do. We're not, a, we're not that church that goes, here's the five steps to being a happy person. <laughs> and I, I wish I could do that. Life happens is the problem, and we're all unique. But that might be a good exercise for some of us to go, you know what I'm going to do? is I don't want to be irritable. I don't want to be easily angered. I don't, I don't want to be owned. I don't want to be conquered. I'm tired of resentment. I'm tired of taking it out on everybody. I'm tired of being irritated and having her resent me for it. But I can't control her. But you know what I can do for me? I can take a piece of paper and I can go through the painful process of going through my life of everything and every person that's ever hurt me. And then next to that, what if I was to write down how that has expressed itself in my life? You know, I'm thinking of a guy right now, a friend of mine, who this guy has bounced around from job to job to job. He's bounced around from relationship to relationship to relationship. He got married, then he bounced away from her and bounced off the girlfriend, and he was done with her and done with these kids, and, and then it was back to, and then it was a different girlfriend, and then it was back to the wife, and the guy's never happy. It's always job, it's relationship, it's what, you know, and, and you know what the thing is? I think he resents God because he's short. That's funny. If it's not you, I think he resents God because he's short. Why did you make me this way? And he's been trying to prove himself since fifth grade. It's like, bro, I liked you in fifth grade. I loved you in fifth grade. I love you now that you're in your fifties. What are you doing? 
But the only way to get past the anger is to deal with the resentment. So I heard a story of these two brothers. And their father owned a store. And in, in this store, uh, uh, they, you know, they, they both worked and it was a family business. And you know, one day they were going to both take over the business. And in their early teenage years... Uh, their father left a dollar on the register, and then they all went to help a customer. When they came back, the dollar was gone. And the father asked the two boys, which one of you took the dollar? And the one boy said, Dad, honesty is what you've always taught me. I didn't take a dollar. That wasn't me. It must have been him. And his other brother was like, that wasn't me. I didn't take the dollar. And they fought about it. And the father didn't know how to deal with it, and so he punished both of them for being dishonest. And that moment, those two boys built a resentment. They didn't trust each other after that moment because both thought that the other one had done it. And in those teenage years, that resentment began to burn and it began to divide them and divide their relationship to the point that they both graduated from high school and went and got married and they could barely stand the look of each other. Their wives hated each other. They both lived in the same town. Their families started to drift apart. Their kids, cousins couldn't play. And it all started over a dollar. To the point dad's dead and gone and he's passed on the inheritance. They couldn't even work in the same store, the family business. And so they had two different stores going in that town and they both owned a store. And now they're 40s, 50s, or you know, some, you know, they're middle aged and, and on. And one day, an older gentleman, kind of well-dressed, a retired guy, walked into the, the original store and asked to speak to the owner. And the one son came out and spoke to this man, and he said, you know, years and years ago, I was a hobo coming through this town. I was so hungry. And I was in your store, and no one was around the register, and I saw a dollar, so I took it. And it's bothered me. My conscience has bothered me. And I, I wanted to pay the dollar back, and I wanted to tell you I'm sorry. And he was a little bit surprised when the owner just starts weeping. Because he remembered he could replay the tape. That fire was still burning years later. And he asked him, he said, would you go into the store across the street and tell that guy that looks kind of like me the same story? And he did, and 30 minutes later, these brothers who'd been divided over a dollar, hugging each other's neck and crying because they realized they'd kept a fire of resentment and their anger going for almost a generation. Brothers and sisters, we do the same thing over our dollars and our resentments and our hurts, and we replay the tapes. Aren't you glad God forgave us? You know all that gibberish about one day we'll stand before God and he'll replay the tape of your life? He won't. He won't because most of the tape he's already forgiven us for. It's been erased. Scripture says he removes our sin as far as from the east is from the west. How is he ever going to replay a tape? That's how much he loves us. We're called to love the same way. Love is not irritable. It's not resentful. And God doesn't resent us. He calls us not to resent one another. Today could be a day when some of us let go of some of those resentments. What Jesus did on the cross 
his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, is so that we can accept and so that we can let go. Did, did Christ accept us? You betcha. He saw exactly how we are and, and still he got up off his throne to come to earth to die for us. That's acceptance. That's acceptance that decided to do something about it so we can be called the sons and daughters of God. We're called to love the same way. So this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate his acceptance and his forgiveness and his love. What is love? We look at Jesus. So would you bow your heads with me? And if you're a Christian, you know that now is the time to start examining your heart. If there's sin that you need to repent of, now's a great time to do it. If you've been hanging on to resentment towards him and her, now's the time to practice acceptance. And it's a process. It doesn't happen in a minute. You might need to ask God for his help. God, I need your help to accept this so I can forgive and move on. And acceptance and forgiveness doesn't mean that we set ourselves in the crosshairs of abuse. But it is the beginning of letting it go so that we can love the way God called us to love. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, communion's only for people that have a relationship with Christ and you can have one simply by asking God to change you, to come into your life, to forgive you. That can happen right now. And if you do that, you're welcome to come and celebrate with us. But if not, please stay where you are. There's no, there's no shame. There's no judgment. We invite you to stick around with us as long as you can until you're comfortable to make a decision to follow Jesus. God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for what he's done for us. I thank you that you don't resent. God, I thank you that you're righteous in your anger. You're the only one that's perfectly righteous in your anger. But that that anger, you directed at Jesus on the cross and not at me. And so, God, as we take the cup and as we take the bread, as we take the elements, help us to remember you and help us to let go. And, God, if there's any person here today that can't let it go, I pray that you just have them sit today and not eat and drink judgment upon themselves. We love you. Thank you for that love that never fails.